0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia, 11 a.m. It is a joy to be with you, to worship with you, to raise our palms together, and to teach you on Palm Sunday. This is an important week in the life of the church. This is a week that we enter into uh, the most event-filled, And I would tell you the most important week in the life of the church calendar, and Holy Week begins today. And by Holy Week, what we mean is it's a week set apart for us to enter into the story of Christ in a way that I believe, if we do that well, will be different on the other side of it. And so today, part of my job is to invite you into the stories of Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week. And part of what you're gonna see in these stories that is really amazing is that all of them are stories of unmet expectation. That there's this sense of expectation of how this thing is supposed to go and that none of it, not one story in this meets what people would expect to happen in their lives. And I think for most of us, if we'll get on a gut level honest um, place today, that most of us will begin to lean into this story and see our stories. And the reality is for all of us, Our lives have not turned out exactly like we hoped. And I think we're a people, uh, hear me when I say this, I believe we're a people that are addicted to our projected outcomes. We enter into something and we have an idea of how it's supposed to go. We have this idea that um, whether it's the long haul of the story of our life or whether you're just gonna go out on a date, those of you that are single, I need to pray for you more often. It's like, that's not an easy thing, right? Two people that often don't even know each other and they go out and they both have totally different expectations for what a great evening will look like, right? And, um, And usually what happens on a date, right? Disappointment is usually the result of most dates, if we're honest, right? Most dates end in disappointment. And, and, and disappointment And that sometimes, like, the guy will be like, I don't know, I feel like I crushed it, you know? I was great. Like, I, I brought flowers, I bought dinner, I was a great conversationalist, right? And she's thinking, like, you talked about your mom way too much, like... <laughs> You don't even realize that you have bad breath. Like, you don't, there's all these un, and she's going, it did not go well at all, right? He's thinking, I'm ready to lean in for a goodnight kiss. And in these places, right, that we realize like, we're, we're just on different pages as to how life will go. Um, we've got to deal with, and that's what I believe faith does, allows us to live with the regular disappointment that's just a part of life last week if you were here and if you weren't i want to encourage you to um to go online and to catch up with uh, some of what god has called our church to do in venezuela um, it's going to be an important part of our mission it's in some ways it feels to me a little bit like hurricane harvey that i believe that every person in our church i hope you hear this um, i hope every person in our church feels as though they have a role in helping our brothers and sisters in venezuela the need is so great it's so important that I believe all of our church should feel like I have a connection. Some will go, some will give, all will pray. We're gonna find ways to share our resources with our brothers and sisters in great need. And as I was processing, really all week, all I've been doing since I come back, it feels like is processing what I saw and some of the pain and some of the responsibility that we now bear in Venezuela. I was um, eating sushi this week with a really good friend. And I said to him something that I may have mentioned kind of offhanded in the sermon. Uh, that I said, one of my favorite things I did, we did a lot of things, right? We got to be a part of a medical team that we're bringing medical care to people in really beautiful ways. We got to feed 4,000 hamburgers to people. We threw this beautiful party. I got to pray with so many people. Um, It was such a gift. But one of my favorite things that I did, I said, was I just, we would walk this bridge where literally it's, it's thousands and thousands of people. It seems like every hour going back and forth across the border. And I just found this older grandmother that's trying to carry back supplies to Venezuela and just pick up her bag and carry her bag for her. And, and I told my friend, I said, I could go there and spend a week and do nothing but carry bags for Venezuelan abuelas and I would be so happy, right? And um, it, it was so rewarding. So he asked me, he goes, well, t- explain to me like what was so rewarding about it? And um, I had to think about it. And then I realized what was so rewarding about it really was that when we got to the end of the bridge and this is where it's like, can't go any further. You're in Venezuela and gringo pastors don't need to be going into Venezuela right now. Um, this sweet Venezuelan grandmother kissed my face all over and thanked me and told me how much she loved me and how much it meant to me. And, um, and I think one of the reasons I liked carrying her bag is because she was awesome and she was really nice to me and the reality is if i spend a week there you know what i'm going to carry bags for a lot of people who are just having a bad day and they're not all going to kiss me and tell me how great they think i am and how much they love me in fact most of life sometimes ends up in these places where we do our very best and we don't get the response that we desire that we often expect right I got to do a wedding. One of the things about being the pastor at Ecclesia is I don't get to do as many weddings as I would love to do. Uh, but my friends, Bill and Deanna, they got married a couple of weeks ago. And I'll tell you, it was so fun for me, in part because they were so grateful I was there. I've done weddings for other people that kind of treated me like I was a waiter that had to be there. And it wasn't as fun. Um, there's part of life, right, where you just lean in. And it's like, I love to do the things that. Um, have the outcome that I prefer. Anybody else? Can anybody else relate to me on it? Early in my life in ministry, I think I hit um, at about six months in. I'd been a pastor for six months. And I came to the first real crisis where it was like, do I really want to do this? Um, Most pastors hit a little bit of that every Monday. Um, But... (laughs) But six months in, I had, uh, I was pastoring this little rural Baptist church, and I'll just be honest, these people were mean. They were mean. I mean, they ate pastors for breakfast. They were just like, it was, oh, it was hard. But I thought, I'll just love anybody I get to encounter, right? And I moved into this, um, really cheap house in Waco, uh, which you can't find now that Chip and Joanna Gaines have taken over Waco. (laughs) Uh, but it was this old cheap house that they could fix up beautifully and it was a bit of a mess But it was a rough neighborhood and I loved it and one of the first people I met was my neighbor Jose and Jose while we were getting to know each other He uh, it was obvious that he had a, a drinking problem and he just said I want to get sober and I said Jose Do you really want to get sober? He said yeah So I had a job I've told you about before if you around, around Ecclesia that I used to in my job I used to go to a meeting, so I just said I'm gonna find us a meeting. Let's go to a meeting and he said, okay. And so we started going to meetings together. And I went to about his first six or seven meetings with him, just to keep him on track. And, and you know what? Jose got six weeks, he got nine weeks, he got 12 weeks, he got 20 weeks sober. And all of a sudden Jose is working. And I mean, he's funnier than ever. He's so fun to be around. And I'm going, ministry is awesome. Like getting to love people, it's really awesome. And I had a plan for Jose's life. I'm telling you, it was a great plan. And he's getting his life together. And about the time Christmas rolled around, um, I suggested to Jose that maybe he, uh, he should try to reconnect with his kids. He hadn't been seeing them. And we went and we got some gifts for him to bring his kids on Christmas day. I went home to be with my family on Christmas day and I couldn't wait to hear how things turned out. And I came home on Christmas Day because I'm a pastor and Christmas was on a Saturday and I had to preach on a Sunday. And I go back to my house on Christmas evening about 9.30, 10 p.m. And I get to my house and I go to open the door and I realize that the window in my front door had been broken. And, um, and I noticed that in the window, somebody, there was blood on the window. Somebody apparently broke the window and they cut themselves. And I got in and realized I had been like robbed of, I mean, they just took almost everything. On Christmas Day, somebody robbed me and then what they didn't steal, they bled on. Whoever it was, they they cut themselves so severely, their blood was all over my house. And I just sat there like, Merry frickin' Christmas, right? I mean, what in the world, this is Christmas Day. And and I'm waiting for the Waco PD that apparently don't want to come. And as I'm sitting there, um, my friend Jose walks in and it takes uh, about 10 seconds to realize that Jose had been drinking. And that Jose had a massive uh, wound in his hand and it was bandaged. And I realized that Jose, my friend, he'd robbed me blind on Christmas day. And I didn't exactly share the love of the Lord with him in that moment, right? I told him, get out of here. And it took me about three or four days to feel like I could actually deal with Jose. And I I went over to uh, knock on his door. Part ready to deal with him forgiven and part to be like, you know, do you still have my roommate's guitar? Is there anything you have left that you took? And, and uh, his sister answered the door. This is a longer story than most sermons um, that I offer, but it'll give you some context. And I knock on his door and his sister answered the door and she said, are you a friend of Jose's? Or are you here for the wake? And I said, What? And she said, "Jose, he died a couple of days ago. He he drank himself to death. And um, and you probably you probably would have been like me. I had waves of like guilt and sorrow, and I didn't do the right thing. And what did I do and not do? And part of me's still mad at Jose, and part of me's mad at me. But I came to this place where I just want well, like I got to decide if I want to love Jesus and serve Jesus when the story doesn't become a hallmark story." Like, I want all the stories to be a Hallmark story. And the reality is, like, even the best among you, like, none of you are really Hallmark stories, right? I'm not one. Every place in our life, we hit things that we go, this is not how I would have written it. This is not what I would have wanted. And yet, and we're gonna learn it in the midst of Holy Week, God tends to lean in most in those times and say, my plan's better than your plan. And what you thought would be this perfect story probably would not be but I will save you and redeem you, but just not in ways that you would expect. And so every story we're gonna look at today, we're gonna to begin with the beginning of Palm, uh, Palm Sunday story. Every one of them were confounding and surprising to the people that met them. Now, for many of us though, this is the reality. I'm curious who follows them. What can, how many of you love a surprise? Like if somebody throws a, a surprise party and you're legitimately surprised, you're thrilled. How many of you here are those kind of people, right? And how many of you are like me, and you're like, don't surprise me for nothing. I don't want to be blindsided by anything. I want to know what's coming at me, right? Um, Like I'd like to expect that there is nothing about life with Jesus that meets expectations. And what we may think is disappointment often turns into our greatest victories. So in Mark chapter 11, this is what we get jesus has done this amazing ministry he's been healing people he's been preaching about the kingdom of god he's been preaching about justice and a new kind of kingdom and a new kind of life and he makes his way to jerusalem for the biggest celebration of the year for the passover and he his disciples have left the area of galilee and when you leave galilee you got this long journey this long walk and then you start to go up a mountain And that's the Mount of Olives. If you've been to the Holy Land with me, you get to that place and all of a sudden you're looking down on Jerusalem and it's beautiful. And in Mark 11, it tells us, when they had gotten close to Jerusalem near the two villages of Bethpage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his followers ahead of him. They got there. They're right on the edge of Jerusalem. And Jesus tells them, all right, this is entering into the last week of Jesus' life. And I want to encourage you this week to read the Gospel of Mark. Most of the Gospel of Mark happens in the last week of Jesus' life. Um, And if you just read it this week, you'd learn so much about what happened during Holy Week. Some of you are like, you already tricked me into reading the Gospel of John during Lent. Now you want me to read the Gospel of Mark. Yes, I do. And you'll thank me for it later. Jesus says to one of the two of the disciples, he says, go over to that village. And as soon as you get into town, you'll see a young colt tied that nobody has ever ridden. They're saying, this is such a baby colt, nobody has been ready to get on the actual colt or donkey. This is a small, small animal, right? Years ago, my, uh, my kids had, we at a birthday party and, uh, and they had one of these donkeys, right? And I thought I had a baby. I was like, I, I'm gonna ride with the, with the baby, right? And this guy's like, you're not getting on my donkey. Like, and he told me, he said, there's a 200 pound weight limit. I'm like, I'm under 200 pounds. He didn't believe me. So um, like, get a scale out here. I'm 198, dude, 198. That won't hurt your donkey. Literally, this donkey is so, so small, nobody would dare get on this donkey. This is a tiny, tiny animal. And Jesus says, you'll find this one that nobody's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it back to me. And if anybody stops you and asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs it, and he will send it right back right after he's done, right? Jesus says, essentially, it's not stealing if you made everything, right? So, Jesus <laughs> like, I made it all, I can take it whenever I want. So, in the early days of Ecclesia, this is what we did. We just went around and we're like, the Lord requires it, right? We just went in. <laughs> we go to Guitar Center for sound equipment and be like, the Lord requires it. So Jesus made it and Ecclesia needs it. So thank you very much. It's not theft if it belongs to Jesus. So um, that's what he said. They tell us that everything happened just as Jesus had told them. They found the animal just where it was. They found the colt in the street tied near a door and they untied it. And the bystanders came by like, what are you doing? You're taking the donkey. They're like, yeah, Jesus told us to. So they brought the coal back to Jesus and they piled garments on its back to make a comfortable seat and Jesus rode the animal toward Jerusalem. And as they traveled, people cast their cloaks on the road, they spread out leafy branches. It's the reason we gather these palms. Palms were a symbol for the national life of Jerusalem, a symbol of hope, which they had brought from the fields along the way. They knew Jesus was coming. This was Jesus' military parade. This would be common in the day. They're saying, now is the time for victory. And the people walked ahead of them, and others followed behind. And the people were screaming, Hosanna, or rescue us now, save us now. They believed that the hour of salvation, that their time of oppression was finally going to come to an end, and General Jesus was going to lead them into it blessed be the one who comes in the name of the eternal one and blessed is the kingdom of our father david david was a great warrior and they thought finally we have a descendant of david that's going to deliver us victory which draws close to us today hosanna in the highest heavens and to the sound of this chanting jesus rode through the gates of jerusalem and up to the temple and he rode in on what a baby donkey but it tells us that he looked around and he saw that the evening was coming and so he came he and the 12 came back to bethany to spend the night we're going to talk more about why jesus stayed in bethany this week in a few moments jesus is ready for his moment of triumph he's headed to jerusalem and he rides in in his military parade not on a great war horse but on a baby donkey literally all of jerusalem would have been like wah, wah. It's just like are you we're, how are we going to win when the general is on this? This donkey may not make it to Jerusalem, right? It's, it's like Kim Jong-un doing his big military parade where he's got everybody out there and all the missiles and, and he comes out with a broken water pistol. He's literally like, we're going to win with that? And Jesus is beginning to say, right? Victory doesn't look anything like what you think it looks like. The way that we're going to win is not in any of the ways that you've expected. Now, Ecclesia, your life is the same. What you think is victory in your life is not the way that Jesus defines victory. So from there, he goes back to Bethany and Beth Page, and he stays for the night. The next day they get up and they make their way in. This is one of those passages, if you just read this on your own, you don't have any Bible commentary. Sometimes you just read, you're just like, what is going on with Jesus? Jesus has this interaction with a tree. So it tells us the next morning when they departed Bethany and they were traveling back to the city, Jesus was hungry. This is one of the things I love about the Bible and the gospels. It tells us often, Jesus was hungry. He was human. And off in the distance, he saw a fig tree and it was fully leafed out. It was thick. It looked fruitful. And he headed down t- toward it to see if it might have any ripe fruit. But when he reached it, he found only leaves because the fig season had not yet come. So Jesus gets to this tree. He's frustrated. And then he says to the tree, as the disciples listen, Jesus pronounced a curse on the tree. Now, if you're reading this, you're like, what's Jesus' problem with trees, right? And he says, no one will ever eat fruit, from the tree, from the, uh, eat fruit from your branches again. And what we hear later on is they go to the temple, they come back, they pass the tree, the tree's dead. And many of us are like, I like trees. Some of you live in the woodlands. They love trees in the woodlands. Like, they're everywhere. They cover their signs. They never cut down any trees. Like... <laughs> Why didn't Jesus from the woodlands, why didn't he like trees like the rest of the people, right? Now, Jesus' beef is not with trees. Remember, Jesus, when he walks along the road, what's he looking for? He's looking for a chance to teach, right? And when he sees a, a farm, he talks about right, planting seed, What you reap and what you sow and wherever Jesus was, he saw it as an opportunity to teach. And in some ways, like an Old Testament prophet, he looks for an opportunity to teach. And the fig tree was that opportunity. And what he's saying is when you go to this fig tree, you would expect, you look at it from a distance and you would think, this is going to be a great tree. I'm going to get something to eat. There's going to be fruit there. And then when you get up and you look closely, it's not what you expect it to be. And he's setting us up for what he's about to see in the temple. So he's, he's looking and saying, our lives and the temple and other things are often fruitless trees. Jesus goes forward and he heads into the temple. And it tells us, now remember, the temple was a project, it was a construction project of Herod. He'd been working on it at this point for about 60 years. This is the most massive construction project in the known world. And it was, uh, in many ways, an offering to the Jewish people to say, hey, we're not so bad, Rome's not so bad, we're gonna give you a place to worship your God, and this thing, literally, there's still, you can go now uh, to the tunnel tours at the Western Wall, and you still see the bottom part of the temple, the Temple Mount, and there are stones here larger than any stone in any of the pyramids in Egypt. This was a massive project. So from a distance, you'd see this temple, and you'd think, this is amazing, the Jews have a place to go worship God. But then when you get up close, it was different. When Jesus went into the temple and he got up close, it tells us that upon reaching the temple that morning, Jesus dealt with those who were selling and buying animals for sacrifices, There were people there, if you wanted to make a sacrifice, you'd go buy an animal. They'd tell you, you need to have this kind of animal or that kind of animal. And there was obviously some things going on with the people that ran the temple so that some of these people would have a good business. And he drove them out of the area and he turned over the tables of those who exchange money now um probably many of you have been to the airport or someplace and you've had to exchange money right and you go to one of those places who wins in those deals every time who wins in those deals always the money exchanger right every time you could go up to the houston airport and decide you're going to go to Chile, and you can put down a thousand dollars. They cancel your flight. You go back and sell the same money back to them, and your thousand dollars is like nine hundred and forty dollars, right? And you're like, all, all I did was walk from here to here, right? And they, every time they make money, and every time you lose money. And Jesus is saying, ah, not in the temple, right? He goes on, right? He's he's dealt with the money changers for the temple pilgrims. And the seats of those selling birds, you see, Jesus specifically had come from Galilee and they were targeting Galileans. They wouldn't take Galilean money in the temple. And he physically prevented anyone from carrying anything through the temple. And then he explains what I think was a big part of Jesus' problem with what was happening in the temple. He goes on and he says, "Um, didn't the prophets write that my house will be called a house of prayer for whom, say it aloud with me, all the people. And there were signs up in the first century temple that said, if you're not a Jew, you can't come past here. If you come past this point, you'll be killed. And what you can do if you're new to reading the Bible or studying the Bible, if you're following the life and the teaching of Jesus, this is what you'll find every time. If there's a story where there's an outsider, guess which which team Jesus is on? The outsiders, every time. Every time every time whoever is left out and he's saying to the jewish people you don't leave anybody out of the worship of god the temple is a place for everybody and so for us as a church and as a people it's this reminder it's one of the great things about having a church in the most diverse city in the united states that the church is to be a place where those who follow jesus welcome everybody rich and poor everybody in every part of life and he says this is a temple for some. When he got close to it and he inspected the fruit, he said, This is not what you would expect. So Jesus leaves that place, and what we hear then in Mark 14, I'm just trying to give you a few little stories, and then I'm going to share with you a few things I'd like you to think about uh, in this journey. Imagine you're Jesus. Everybody wants your time and attention. You're the most important rabbi around, people have heard stories of your healing. You're in Jerusalem maybe the greatest city on the planet at that point, apart from Rome, is a great place to be. You could have dinner anywhere, right? Tells us in in Mark 14 that while uh, the religious leaders were plotting to come after Jesus, this is what we read. The Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread were two days away, and the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, gathered to discuss how they might secretly arrest Jesus and kill him. And the Jewish leaders were saying, We can't do it during the festivals. It might create an uproar. And while they're plotting, Jesus is taking his disciples to go eat. So it tells us in verse 3 that while Jesus was eating dinner in Bethany, remember that's where he was staying with his friends, where did he eat? At the house of Simon the leper. Now, just imagine you're Jesus, right? You could eat anywhere. You think you're going to find a friend with a highly infectious, contagious disease and want to go eat at his house? How many people do you think were signed up to go eat at the house of Simon the leper? I'll tell you, zero people. Nobody wanted to touch anything that had been in his kitchen. Nobody wanted to touch any place that he had slept or laid down. Nobody wanted to be around Simon the leper. I'm telling you, there's a whole sermon and just the fact during Holy Week, Jesus could eat anywhere and he goes, it doesn't say Simon the guy who used to be a leper, it says Simon the leper. And in Jesus' final week, I'm telling you, the fact that that's who he would go eat with tells you everything that you need to know about Jesus. And I wonder this week, it's Holy Week, I wonder if you can find somebody to eat with that nobody would expect that you would eat with. It's really not that hard in this city in fact one of the things i'll tell you i encourage you hey we don't i i don't encourage you giving out cash to people on the side of the road but if somebody says they're hungry and you say would you eat with me would you share a taco with me and you sit down and share a taco they're really cheap in this city it's best thing about living in houston you can eat a really good taco next to nothing and ask a few questions who are they i'm just telling you if it's Holy Week, and if Jesus was in Houston, I'm pretty sure he'd find the equivalent of Simon the leper, and he'd be in their house eating. And then this unbelievable thing happens. He's in the house with Simon the leper, which had to make everybody confused. And a woman came into the house carrying an alabaster flask filled with a precious, sweet-smelling ointment made from spikenard. Now, if you've been around Ecclesia before, I used to bring my spikenard. I've got a decent amount of it. It's really expensive. It's still really rare. Spikenard comes from a flower that only grows at a certain altitude. So it's in the Himalayas. So it's not just a really common flower. Uh, It's only found there. And it's from the oil of that flower that they make this beautiful oil. It's really pungent, very floral, really strong. And what we know is that this woman had a lot of it. We can talk more about why she might have had a lot of it. And the other gospels, it tells us that this woman was Mary. And um, she came to Jesus and she broke the jar and she gently poured out the perfume onto his head. Now, I'm telling you, it tells us in other gospels that this was about a pound of ointment. You would have been able to smell Jesus three or four towns away. I mean this is strong one of the reasons i didn't bring it today is we've had a few people that appeared to be slightly allergic to it and i could literally i could just do a few drops up here and blow it at you and the whole room be filled with the smell it's that strong and she took a pound of it now quite likely if she had a pound of it this was not something she just randomly collected quite likely for mary this was her 401k for most people In most economies in the world, you have something that you buy and sell. I go to Africa still, and a lot of people make their business, go in to buy gasoline. They go to the city, they buy gasoline. Then they come to their little town. They divide up the gasoline into smaller amounts and sell it. She had a large amount of spikenard. And likely if somebody died and they wanted it as a burial ointment, if somebody wanted to make a perfume, they would come buy it. And if she had a pound, she could spend the rest of her life selling spikenard. But she takes it and she breaks the thing open and she pours it out on Jesus. And some of the people around them, the table, they were troubled and they grumbled to each other. One, they're like, this is really a strong smell. (laughs) And two, right, why did she waste this ointment? They're like, literally, that's a whole retirement. We could have sold this ointment for almost a year's wages. So I don't know what you would think of as a common or an average year's wage, but let's assume in our culture that it's somewhere between $35,000 and $70,000. The equivalent today, right, of a year's wage, a $40,000 gift, and she pours it out on Jesus' head. They said this could have gone to the poor. And their private concerns were turned into public criticism against her. She gives this huge gift to Jesus and everybody's mad about it, except for Jesus. And Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you attacking her? She has done a good thing and the poor will always be with you and you can show kindness to them whenever you want. He's not being flippant, he's saying that's the truth. But I won't always be with you. She has done what she could for me she has come to anoint my body and prepare it for burial and believe me when i tell you that this act of hers will be told in honor of her as long as there are people who tell the good news and here we are today telling the story of mary who gave this huge gift to jesus now i got to tell you ecclesia you've maybe heard this story before and you've read the bible before but if you told people hey jesus is going to go he's going to stay in bethany and he's going to go eat at a leper's house And then a woman's gonna come pour out a $40,000 amount of oil on him. You'd have been like, that doesn't even make sense. Like there's no category for that happening. But that's the way that Jesus and this story continually unfold. I got one more story I wanna tell you and then I'm gonna invite you into a few things to to think about. As Holy Week progresses, Jesus gears up for the main event for Holy Week. What's the main event in their life that they'd gone to Jerusalem for? It's the Passover. They were going for the Passover and they were there for the Passover. And when you gather for the Passover, if Passover is the main event of that week, what is the main event of Passover? What's the main thing you're looking for when you get to the Passover meal? It's a feast. And what's the main part of the feast? Lamb, 100% lamb. Lamb. The whole story is about the lamb, the sacrifice of the lamb, the blood on the doorpost that was a part of God's deliverance of his people. You came to lamb, uh, to, um, to Passover, to eat lamb. And it was a pretty amazing thing. And so Jesus gathers his disciples in this room for the Passover feast, and what do they find when they get to the Passover feast? There's no lamb, right? Now, you gotta be really clear, you're not having Passover if you don't have lamb. It's like in Texas, if we go, hey, I'm inviting you over to my house for a barbecue, and you get there, and I've got coleslaw and potato salad, right? you like, dude, this isn't a barbecue. This is an appetizer party for somebody else's barbecue, but this is not a barbecue, right? What's the question you're going to ask when you get to my house? where's the beef right like the old lady in the wendy's commercial if you're around long enough to remember that right there's got to be beef if there's no beef there's no barbecue jesus gets to this and he does two unbelievably alarming things i want you to think about both of them then we're going to prepare ourselves for communion the first one is he does what no rabbi or important person would ever do he gets down on his face and he washes the feet of his disciples and he says to them right If you're gonna follow me, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna wash other people's feet. Now we become Christians, right? And I stand in my house and I go, Jose robbed me and he bled on everything. And I signed up like to have a heroic story. That's what I signed up for. I wanted Jose to have this great life and for me to get to pal around with him and see this restored beautiful thing happen. And Jesus just said, I just asked you to serve. I asked you to get down on your face and in the dirt and serve. I didn't tell you how the end would come. And Jesus gets down and he washes their feet and he says to every one of us, are you gonna be a servant? Because if you're not gonna be a servant, don't tell people you follow me. You gotta be willing to be a servant. And then when they don't have lamb, and this is the thing about the lamb. So let me tell you a little story. If you're a Jew and you're going to Passover in Jesus' day in the first century. When you show up, you would want, if at all possible, you wanna celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. It'd be the place to be. Now, you got so many Jewish people, not everybody could go to the temple to sacrifice the lamb. You would take the lamb to the temple, you'd bring that lamb in, and the priests would then slaughter the lamb, they would skin it, they would take parts of it for themselves, they would have their own little priestly barbecue, and then they would send you out with the bulk of the lamb. You'd throw it over your back, and you'd head back home. Now, you can imagine, not every person could go to the sacrifice... But every person, just like here, if we said, hey, how many of you have sinned this year? Right? If your hand doesn't go up, you're just lying, which is the next sin. So now you've sinned, and now you've got to deal with that sin, right? <laughs> all of us have sinned. If they're making a sacrifice for their sin, every person would be like, well, I need to be there so that my sin can be atoned for, right? Makes sense. But not everybody could be there. So this was the understanding if you were a Jew at Passover, that all who eat the meat of the lamb participate in in the sacrifice that as soon as you eat the meat you're a part of the sacrifice so it's alarming for Jesus and his disciples that one they don't have lamb because you want to participate in the sacrifice and even if you weren't there if you eat the meat you're a part of the sacrifice and then Jesus does something nobody could have imagined he took the bread and he talked about it the way you would talk about the lamb He said, this is my body It's been broken or sacrificed for you. And all who share in this body, in this bread, share in the sacrifice in the same way you'd think about the lamb. And then he took the cup, said, this is the wine. This is my blood shed for you. And he talked about it the way you'd talk about the lamb. He said, all who share in it will share in the forgiveness of the sacrifice And Jesus is saying in this meal, if you follow me, you're going to be a servant. And if you join with me, you're a part of my once and for all sacrifice for all people in all times and in all places. And the world will be a radically different place. Now, not a single one of those disciples expected to show up at that dinner and hear any kind of meal like this. This is not what they expected. But God's plan is a lot better than their plan. I want to Ask you. I'm going to share with you four things I want you to pray about this week. I want to ask you to pray for uh, an ecclesian that's at a similar place that he'd go. Hey, my life's at a place that this is not what I would have chosen or expected, um, but I need God to show up in some really beautiful ways. So uh, we have a longtime ecclesian, our dear brother Daniel Capes. Daniel uh, has uh, been a part of Ecclesia probably now for 15 years. In September, he got his dream job and. uh, Daniel is a creative nerd in the best sense of the word and his dream job was to get to help design video games And he got hired by a great company in California to go do that as a pastor when you get some people off to do their dream It's pretty fun, right? So we get some Daniel off and like go crush it and have a blast and just a few weeks ago This is uh, Daniel's wife Janelle and their little boy Toby uh, Daniel was uh, diagnosed uh, with a really difficult kind of cancer. It's just a really difficult one for his age. And they removed a massive tumor in a lot of his bowels. And he's currently in the hospital and just facing a tough battle. And if you can imagine, if you're facing a tough battle and you just moved to California and you don't have all your church community and your friends and your family, you're just at a bit of a loss. So one, I wanna ask you to pray for him. Two, at the table on the way out, we're gonna write some notes for Daniel. I'm gonna hand deliver those to him in California and um, if you'd take a minute and just write a prayer for him we believe in you we're praying for you you got this god's gonna see you through this um we think that would be a really great gift this is not how daniel expected this part of his life to go Uh, and yet we're gonna lean in with him and trust and we believe there are beautiful things that happen in that so four things i want you to think about as we come to communion and you think about holy week that are uh, that stand out to me in this story the first one is that uh, this story with mary to me, redefines any of my previous, previous understanding of generosity. Um, if I look at the story of the Bible, I look at what is culturally generous. Most Christian people, they say, would, will give uh, between 25 to 3% of their income to charity. If you're really generous, you may give 10%. You got this woman who comes and literally gives Everything. And Jesus has taught us that we have the same opportunity to give to him, that if we give to the least of these, to those who are hungry, to those who are thirsty, we've given to him. And I think in this story, he invites us to redefine what generosity looks like. Second thing I see in this story, these are all things I'd just like you to pray about this week. What does that look like for me? What does it mean to redefine generosity in my life? One of my Lenten journeys has been giving a gift every day, and it's been the most fun part of Lent for me. And I've just realized, the more I give, um, the more joy I have. If I, I, if I just focus my life on my giving, um, I would find the greatest joys in my life. The second one, and I think this one's fascinating. Most people would go and stay in Jerusalem, but Jesus stayed for the whole week in Bethany and Bethpage, why? Because he had friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Those are his friends. You read those stories. Lazarus dies and he's resurrected. Jesus wept. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. And when Jesus knew that he's going to be, it's going to be a bad week. To me, a hard week. This is going to be the week of his death. And if you're going to go through a hard week, who should you be around? Your friends. So if you're facing a hard week, I just want to encourage you. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. Go sleep on your friend's couch. Go stay in their extra bedroom. Like get close to your friends. When life gets hard, lean in with your friends. Don't pull out. Anybody been in a place where life's hard and you feel like you isolated instead? And isolation made it worse. Jesus knew this is going to be a hard week. Be with your friends. Third thing. This one's hard for me. I read this passage, and I don't know how Jesus dealt with it. But for, for Jesus in this story, what's clear is that betrayal is just a given. That people are going to betray him. I'm confounded every time I read this passage in the Last Supper. Here Jesus has washed the feet, all the feet of all the disciples, even the one who's going to betray him. He serves them. And then he says to the one that's going to betray him, to Judas, he says, go do the thing you're going to do. I read it and I'm like, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, I'm the one who's done everything for you. I want to remind you of a few things, right? And what a jerk you are before you go do the thing you're going to do, right? Because I just look and go like, that guy's going to betray you, Jesus. Jesus went, yeah, he's going to betray me. And you have likely been betrayed and you know the pain of betrayal. And Jesus says, I know the pain of betrayal as well. I know what that feels like, and betrayal is a part of life, and you'll be okay. And I think the reality that Jesus has faced betrayal gives me great hope. And here's the last one. We'll take communion. This is hard. You get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, he stands there, he prays before God. God, if there's another way, we should take the other way, because this is a hard path. And what we see in the life of Jesus in this week is that we're called to do the right thing no matter how hard it is. Most of the time, Ecclesia, the right thing is not going to be the easy thing. And if we're looking for the path path of least resistance, if you want the easy path, it'll be a pretty boring life. But if you're willing to risk, if you're willing to be courageous, if we're willing to do the right thing even when it's not easy, I think there's a good life on the other side of it not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody will be on board. But I want to be with the people that choose to do the right thing, even when it's hard. So as we enter into Holy Week, will you ask God to call you more deeply into these truths? There are great opportunities this week to be with us on Monday, Thursday and Good Friday. And then next week, we're going to celebrate Easter. I want to invite you to bring a friend. We're gonna celebrate the resurrection. And I'm gonna do my best to share the most winsome message I can for why I think that living life without Christ makes zero sense to me, but living life with Christ is the best life you could possibly have. And if you invite a friend or a neighbor, I promise to do my best not to embarrass you. So would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for this transformational meal, this last supper nearing Holy Week. Lord, nobody expected there'd be a Passover meal without a lamb. Nobody expected that the one who made all of the world, that Christ himself, a part of the creator God, would get down on his face and wash off the feet of his disciples and then call all who followed him to live in that example and to live a life of service. But Lord, we pray that as we lean into your story this week, we'd be reminded that we also are at our best when we serve, that when we're humble enough to wash feet, when we serve, even knowing that the outcome will not be a hallmark story, it won't always end the way that we want, but that we're just made to serve and we're at our best when we do it. And so God, I pray that throughout this week, you would restore our hope as we follow you well. We pray all of this together. And we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ekthesiahouston.org.